0: Hello, and welcome to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. Our conversations and stories feature Boilermaker students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. Who would you vote for as Purdue's longest-admired, most famous celebrity? The unofficial honor has to go to the one and only Purdue Pete, the most recognizable face at Purdue for over 70 years. The first to don the Pete costume, Dr. John Note, kicks off our story about the beloved mascot's origin and history. He's joined by several alumni who are proud to tell their stories about being Pete during their years at Purdue.
1: I did happen to be in an airport one time and coming back from a meeting, it was in the fall, and a football game was on, and the guy was pushing his way through this bunch of us who were watching the game. And he said, "I have, Ohio State was playing. Somebody said, I have to watch the Buckeyes. I was Brutus Buckeye. And I said, well, don't push. I was Purdue Pete, and I'll push you back.
2: I really feel that Purdue Pete is that branch um from not just athletics but from the university to our fans.
3: There's just an aura about
4: being Purdue Pete. I mean, very few get that opportunity. Running out there and seeing all those Purdue alumni that come back or all the Purdue fans that are there, you know, they see you, they're happy to see you. It was was a lot of fun. If I was going to an appearance somewhere on campus, I would just get
5: dressed in my apartment and walk across campus. It was just kind of fun, just, hey, there's Pete, just walking across campus. What's up, man?
6: Adored by generations of Purdue fans and alums, Boilermaker Pete has roamed the sidelines for more than 60 years. But this unofficial university mascot didn't start out life in a costume. Nicknamed the Boilermakers as a nod to the school's practical industrial-style learning, Purdue's official mascot has long been a Victorian-era locomotive, affectionately called the Boilermakers Special. But what about Pete? The origin of Purdue Pete can be traced to a local campus bookstore, University Bookstore, founded in 1939 by owners Red Salmons and Doc Ebel.
1: In the early 40s, uh, a company, Angelus Decal, had, was working around the country trying to get colleges to come up with something, and this was really before branding or licensing. Art Evans was the, uh, the artist who worked for Angelus Decal, and they'd gone to the university stores at other campuses and created logos and so they came to Purdue to develop this uh, caricature that they were going to put on notebooks, to sell notebooks. Well, it was a very popular item. Arthur Evans' design
6: is a powerful homage to Boilermaker craftsmen, Sporting a muscular physique, hard hat, and a mallet for hammering steel, this iconic logo was intended to signify strength and determination. In addition, Evans submitted an entire portfolio of Pete drawings each representing a different major at Purdue. Then people would come in and ask who he
1: was. Well, they had never named him, and uh, Doc Apple, he just said Pete. I mean, it could have been Purdue Phil or Paul, but he always liked the name Pete, so that's how Pete got his name. Four
6: years after his bookstore debut, the Pete logo featured prominently in the university's official 1944 yearbook. But it would be another 12 years before the character emerged in human form. Mechanical engineering student Larry Brumbaugh was the first to wear the foamed, padded Pete costume at a pep rally in September of 1956. From that moment on Purdue Pete became a staple at home football games and by 1958 undergraduate
1: John Note had assumed the role. At that time we only did football games. I was asked to do a basketball game in the old Lambert Fieldhouse And it was so hot that I told them at halftime I didn't care to continue because the head was papier-mâché and plaster of Paris. It weighed 36 pounds. And this was the original head. It's the only one, by the way, that hasn't been preserved. It supposedly fell off a truck or disintegrated for some reason. The other interesting thing over the period of time is one day in the middle of the fall, I got a message that I was supposed to appear in in Director Mackey's office, so I went in and he said, son, I watch you on the field and I have the same reaction that you have to the officials, but you can't beat the hammer on the ground when there's a bad officials call. When Pete's head went missing after a road game in 1962,
6: an even larger papier-mâché model was designed. By 1976, Purdue athletic gear sported an updated Pete design. Created by campus artist Keith Butts, these new logos aimed to present a fierce, more competitive, tough-minded Purdue Pete to the world. As for the costume itself, Pete's head underwent its own series of revisions in the
3: 1970s. It was really a cavernous thing you had to lift up, and that was that first year, uh, my sophomore year in uh, 1978-79. It was a 47-pound fiberglass head that mostly was sort of cavernous above you and then it had a fiberglass front and the same on the back with the sides open. The visibility was through the mouth and my junior year, so the fall of 79, they went from that happy but rather dumb, go-lucky look to a smaller, more mobile head. It was a very mean look. I mean, it was a big jaw, five o'clock shadow, the frown. Unbeknownst to them, but known to us, is that it just scared the heck out of kids. And then I think they transitioned to what I think
4: mostly they have today. So they've got it right. They've gotten it right. They, they used to be able to talk in the suit, and now that's like a big no-no for us. So it's just it's just really cool to see how Pete's changed over the years.
6: In 2011, Purdue Athletics briefly experimented with a full-body costume makeover, but quickly abandoned the idea at the urging of die-hard fans. Today, six students fill the role of Pete, and the heads are manufactured in a composite lab by Purdue's aviation technology students. Molded from a master plug, each fiberglass head is custom-fitted for its wearer.
4: We all have our own individual heads. We all have our own individual eye colors. In terms of the body, we actually wear hockey pads, um, the chest and shoulder pads, and we put a long black sleeve shirt over that, and then we put on whatever uniform or whatever event that we're going to relates best with that. You're exhausting yourself, you're sucking wind,
5: and it's just hot air that that's the odor of peat. Bum, but at the same time, when you put on the head, it's it's a rush. Once you have it on, you don't really think of it. It's a bike helmet strapped inside of that, and and the, you get such a such an energy boost from from the crowd, whether it was at Ross Aid Stadium or at Mackey Arena. So uh, we were always fine.
2: So.
6: How exactly does an undergraduate student become Purdue Pete?
2: Yeah, I'm the coordinator of the whole Spirit Squad, which involves uh, cheerleaders and Purdue Pete. At tryouts, there's different stations that they have to do. Dancing, uh, props where they have to put together a skit, um, game day situations, things like that. Being one of the rare mascots where... Their arms and legs are being shown. You know, they do have to be in uh, pretty good physical shape. Then we have kind of a mentoring program for about at least four to six weeks. Uh, they're partnered up with one of the older guys, and they go to events with them. They go to games with them, and they kind of just watch them and then critique each other. And once we feel they're ready, uh, we'll, we'll put them out there at an event or a game, and you'll see them get better and more comfortable.
4: I ended up trying out, and I got it. And I texted my mom, and she called me immediately. She's going, no way. Like, That's so crazy, you're the mascot, that's so weird. She's like, I'm so proud of you, that's awesome. We have study
5: tables throughout the week, we have our conditioning on top of our meetings with our coaches. So there has to be an element of professionalism, but at the same time, you have to go out and have a lot of fun.
4: Ben or me and and Sue, we'd be up more in the crowd interacting with fans or interacting with little kids. Kevin's a good dancer, he's a great dancer, and you know, is more of like, the hype Pete. I do love to dance so uh, I I like to make that my signature is dancing. I was a huge fan of
5: Coach Katie growing up and I got to be Purdue Pete on the court for his last game in in 2005 at Mackey Arena you know the way that he would react to things that's kind of the style that I used so just the big fist pumps and uh but everybody brings their own individuality to, to the, the character of Purdue Pete. My sophomore year, the reason
3: in part they went with two Purdue Peets was that Title IX was coming in. Required events included women's volleyball and women's basketball, which we loved and we were encouraged to try to get to two of every other event so two men's swimming two
4: women's swimming they really wanted us out we're at you know softball games we're at baseball games we do events around campus for the Purdue, Purdue Alumni Association from birthday
5: parties to weddings to going to home hospital over in Lafayette uh, there was a variety of things that Purdue Pete does savage uh, just athletics.
4: Kindergarten is at
5: Woodland Elementary School, got a special visit today. Purdue Pete himself made an appearance and took the kids on a
6: scavenger hunt. It was all a complete surprise to the kids. In October 2016, more than 30 former Purdue Peets reunited for the 60th anniversary
3: of Pete's first costumed appearance. There's a loose but common bond among those who have been Purdue Peets. You know, nobody else has done that, and you you're just glad that you could have been of service to your university in some way. And I think we all felt that.
5: It was awesome to see a lot of the prior, Pete, and by prior I mean prior, when Pete was you know just originally founded. And then it was good to catch up
4: with the guys who recently graduated. We got to meet guys that did it in the 80s or the
1: 70s. or like, Dr. No. The first Pete is deceased, and his son and his wife and daughter came. I got to meet them. And getting to know some of the other Pete's, that is uh, interesting to know what they do. and where they are and that sort of thing.
5: It's a great group of guys that, that love this university. And I know every single one that's been Purdue Pete since, since I've done it. And I would do anything for those guys. But it was just a big campfire, campfire story telling session. Most of the stories we tell, I mean, like I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're a big target when you're, when you're Purdue Pete. And uh, that, that goes for any mascot. The opposing, the, the weight games were always interesting, particularly with a 47 pound head, because you had a big
3: target. So apples or oranges were not infrequent. I got, I got hot dogs
1: thrown at me. I got other food thrown at me. Probably the most uh, interesting story occurred at Wisconsin when their guy, uh, Bucky Badger, came over and stole the hammer. And I uh, started running after him and tackled him in the end zone. And the head rolled off over toward the goalpost. The next day, one of the Madison papers, uh, paper said the the most interesting tackle of the day was when Purdue Pete lost his head tackling Bucky Badger in the end zone. I, I do remember the Northwestern game in 2006. The year before,
5: Willie the Wildcat had taken our big gold Purdue flag, and he uh, he brought it back to his sideline the following year up in Evanston he took he did it again <laughs> i went and just tackled him as he was carrying my flag and and i uh, picked my flag back up and just walked back to my spot <laughs> Um, And we didn't plan that. That just kind of happened. So I apologize to Willie if you're (laughs) watching this. (laughs) The story that is favorite among fellow
3: Purdue Peets is is the time I I probably lost a little control. And that was, um, it was a home game. It was cold. It was rainy. We were supposed to win and we didn't. So I'm traipsing back, pretty soggy. Uh, to the fraternity house and uh, somebody just rang my chime. That was with the big 47 pound head. And they ran past me, which is oftentimes the thing they do, and they slowed. And lo and behold, it was a fellow Boilermaker. Well, I can take opposition doing apples and oranges or ringing your chime with their hand, but your own Boilermaker. So I end up going after him. I, I tackled him on his front lawn I'm not sure I got any licks in with this, but maybe it was some other parts. And uh, uh, he looked up and he saw, you know, this gargantuan head and maybe the mallet right in his face. So I'm not too proud of it, but it was a fun day because uh, fellow boilers should not do that to
4: Purdue Pete. So I hope I won. I will say I had a very positive experience at Nebraska. Um, they were the nicest fans I've ever met. They are like, oh, Pete, let me get, let me get your picture. Uh, welcome to Lincoln, Ho- hope you come back.
1: Every kid loves Purdue Pete and uh, the alumni come back and it's that's what they remember.
2: It is really amazes me how much our fans love him and how much they really just want to get a picture with him or just get a high five from him.
3: There were always kids and that's why you're there. You are there to celebrate Purdue University and so any lift you can give to a young child thinking that maybe, maybe this will be the turning point that gets them ignited
4: for Purdue, gosh, what an honor, you know. Driving around tailgates, and there's just like, he's, you know, there's just a kid all by himself with his football, and Pete goes up to him and tosses him a football. It'll make their day. It was so much fun for me being behind the mask to to see the the way the little little ones reacted to Purdue Pete. There's this little girl that comes up to me every single like women's basketball game. I've had like seven this year, and she's always like. I'm your number one fan, Purdue Pete, like and always gives me a hug and says I love you and I'm just like that's the coolest thing ever, like that you can impact someone like that so much.
0: Maybe just as famous as Purdue Pete is Purdue's iconic big bass drum, the largest freestanding bass drum in the world. In 2021, the drum will celebrate its 100th birthday. Back
7: in 1921, the band director at the time, Paul Spatz Emmerich, wanted something to make the Purdue marching
8: band really stand out. He was definitely a dreamer because we already had the first formation ever with the Block Pete. You know, so we were already in the marching band history books, but he wanted to go more. He wanted a drum that was larger than the man playing it.
9: So he got some people together and they came up with this. The Liddy Corporation in Elkhart, Indiana helped him make this drum. And the drum head was actually too large. They were not able to make them out of the synthetic material that they had at the time. So they had to get steers from Argentina.
7: One of the biggest limiting factors back then was drum heads were naturally made from animal hides. So the size of the drum was not limited by how big you could make the shell, but by how big of a steer you could find to make the drum heads. Ended up producing what you see behind me right now.
9: And that is how they came up with the drum.
7: It was kind of a rivalry between Purdue and the University of Texas because the University of Texas had their own big drum, Big Bertha. And there was this big debate that went back and forth about which one was bigger. And in 1961, there was the Kappa Kappa Psi convention down in Wichita, Kansas, and both Schools pledged to bring their drums with them.
9: So they set up a convention where we were going to come and meet and Guinness Book of World Records was there, but we were the only ones who showed up. So by default, we became the World's Water Space Room and we maintain that we are bigger than theirs.
8: So by default, we won that title and we've been very proud of it ever since.
9: By the summer of 2013, Purdue's big bass drum had taken such a massive beating since its last overhaul in the 1970s that Purdue BAMs thought it was time to give the world's largest drum a much-needed facelift.
7: The drum has been several years since it was last remastered. And this year, uh, over the summer, Mike Sherwood, who works for the Emmy department, completely redid all the hardware. Uh, He made brand new pieces for a
8: lot of it or fixed up some of the old ones. And that was a huge deal for us. It didn't really sound like a drum to me and you know it sounded like a big bang when you hit it and and there was this terrible rattling from the old loose hardware some of some of the lugs that are used to actually tighten the drum because we put this drum in tune before every game and make sure it sounds right some of those lugs weren't even there they were missing and so we couldn't you know efficiently tune this it was kind of as good as we could get it
9: Mike Sherwood was approached by Pamela Naev who is in charge of the drum and she asked him if there was any way they could make the hardware on the drum up to date because it would rattle when you ran, there was no way we could tune it. So he said that he would do it and he said that he would do it for free. All he asked was that she cover the cost of the materials to be used. Uh,
10: what was interesting was they actually asked me to do the job. And it started out being um, can you repair these parts and you know, make them work and initially I said yeah, it well, shouldn't be a problem, it's you know, a simple job. After uh, close evaluation, I realized that we were going to have to actually remake some of the parts. And so over the summer, over about a two month period, I ended up uh, remaking about half the components uh, for, the, for the drum hardware. You had uh, the brackets that actually uh, had the turnbuckle rods that actually tightened up the drum heads. Um, they were worn out, the threads were stripped and the holes that actually held the cross rods uh, were so oblong and worn out that the rods would actually rattle when they hit the drum.
8: What Mike did is is he kind of used old, new techniques to refurbish an old drum and he actually machine milled all of these parts out of solid hunks of of stainless steel and it's it's just fantastic how it all came together. It would take us hours to try to even get close to sounding like a drum and now spend 10 minutes
7: of our really focused going at it, we can get it sounding good.
8: When you hit this drum now, there's not a, there's not a bit of rattling anymore. It is, it is you know, it's it's tight, it's well in tune, and it was just so surreal the first time I heard this drum get hit after we'd gotten, it you know, the, the lugs put back on it, and the tension rods redone, the brackets redone, it was so great. You know, the paint was kind of chipping, it had been rained on several times, we do tricks off of it,
7: where we're climbing on the drum, jumping off, stuff like that. So the paint was chipped, was kind of faded.
9: We had it repainted, and Sherwin-Williams donated the paint, and then uh, Mike also came up with the idea to use stickers instead of painting the diamonds on. That way, if anything happened to them, take them off, put new ones back on, and those are donated by Mad Men Creatives, and they work really well.
8: Heritage uh, Paint Company went ahead and painted it for us, and it took three coats of paint to get it looking the way it does right now, and I think it looks really good.
9: I think it looks fantastic, personally. It was,
10: It was. was basically a very very nice honor to be able to work on this project.
8: I love the physicality, the sheer power you've got to put into it. You know, it's a lot of fun getting out there and really throwing this huge drum around.
10: Got to meet the crew, which is a great bunch of people. It's like working with your best friends. They've all got a great personality. They're all upbeat, um, very friendly. So it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Being on a drum crew was the
7: best decision I absolutely made in my life. It's really amazing to be a part of you know, this tradition that's been around Purdue for 90 plus years, and it's the you know, oldest icon.
0: Thanks for listening to This Is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu podcast. There, you can route to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave a review. As always, boiler up.